Welcome to Revive Marketing Podcast for Manufacturers. My name's Austin. I'm here with my co-host and fellow Viver, Clint. Thanks, Austin. And this is actually episode one. Uh, we've recorded episode zero, which was just a little snippet, uh, giving you guys a little taste of what the podcast is going to be like. But this is our first official episode. And uh, yeah, this is Revive, the marketing podcast for manufacturers. Clint and I work at a small marketing agency called Vive. We work specifically with manufacturers, so we understand the problems that manufacturers face. Today's guest, Brett Tomzak from Type Orange. He's a graphic designer from Milwaukee. Um, We know Brett. He's worked with manufacturers in the past. He's built brand identities for manufacturers from the ground up. So we talked to him about a lot of interesting things, his background, how he got into design, some strategies for manufacturers today, and uh, a little surprise at the end. So let's get right to it. Let's go. Yeah. We're recording? Yep. All right. Uh, great. Our first guest today is Brett Tomzak from Type Orange, a design company here in the Third Ward in Milwaukee. Um, welcome, Brett. Thanks Thank you for guys. joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. It's our, our first endeavor actually talking to someone else besides just me and Clint, so <laughs> we're excited um, to have some conversations. But yeah, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, how you started, your thoughts behind it? Um, sure. So um, yeah, Type Orange Design is is the design office of Brett Tomzak, but with a name like Tomzak, it's a bad spelling, right? So you can't beat Tomzak <laughs> Design. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, 10 years ago, I left a really good design shop in Milwaukee. Um, to venture out on my own, and I thought, well, let's see if I can make this work full time. Um, and ten years later, here I am. So, it, it, but it's yeah, it's going well. Um, but to answer your question about what is Type Orange, right? I think I'm a more traditional graphic design shop than maybe some of the young, up and coming new people are, right? Because I'm an old print based guy. Sure. Um, so, it's interesting to see where the industry's going, right? Um, App development and web and virtual reality and all that stuff is not spaces that I play in much. Right. Um, but when it comes to identity design and traditional graphic design, um, I, I think you can't beat time-honored solutions. Right. So, those those design principles are always going to be there. They're always going to work. So is it your obviously you do logos, you do you do brand development. Um, that's something more traditional. You said uh, than maybe some of the up and coming people. Is it your process that's more traditional as well, or is it? Uh... I think it's I think it's design thinking, right? That goes yeah. into my solutions. Um, so I worked a little bit more about my background. I worked four years at an ad agency, and then eight years at a design firm. And there's big differences in ad agencies. Sure, the concept has to be sound, mm-hmm. but it has to. It's a lot of times short lived, right? A campaign doesn't have to live all that long, right? Design, on the other hand, especially identity design, mm-hmm. like you've got to have some rock solid foundation to brand the company because it has to span the, the test of time, right? You can't right. be like, oh, six months later, let's make a new identity for this company. That doesn't work. That's not doing your clients any good. Yeah. Um, you're doing them a disservice. So you really have to solve um, some underlying issues with what elements work and what can be built upon, right? You need to have. I don't, I don't remember who, back in my career, um, someone said the, you know, these solutions need to have legs, right? They need to be able to s- stabilize and grow and move, and, yeah. um, but still keep the, the logo firmly propped up as the foundation of that identity system. Right. Right, so 
I think I take a, a big picture approach. Some, someone will come to me and be like, well, logo design, you can get that online for $100. And I will tell those people, like, you can go and get that. Like, there's, there's a place for it, right? Yeah. You don't need a, a big identity system with a foundation and, and legs and roots that can stand the test of time. Maybe there's a better, cheaper solution for you, but sure. um, good design thinking can solve a lot of problems. I'm glad you brought that up. Because I'm going to ask you about those those other uh, <laughs> online services uh, in, in a little bit here. But um, how how did you know when when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Oh well, I or are you still not sure? You're still no sure. no no. I love I love what I do. I, it's great. I found my I found my space. Um, I think I I knew what I wanted to do. But other things, as I look back on my education and my upbringing, like my dad was an engineer, and he wrote like a typewriter. I mean, he had the neatest most pristine little handwriting um, and I picked up on that right so like sure. neatness matters details matter um, and I think I still use that today because that was ingrained not necessarily ingrained in me like my my parents were never like you need to write neater but I just picked <laughs> up on it like that was something I cared about um, um, band logos as a kid mm -hmm. like the twisted sister logo yeah. oh my god I, I draw it still to this day like that logo, maybe more than anything else, is the reason why wow. I'm a designer. We actually used a band logo for inspiration for Reebok for this podcast. Oh, nice. Limp Bizkit. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we went a different direction. Uh, initially, we were going the Limp Bizkit significant other graffiti route, um, yeah. but uh, higher ups didn't, didn't prove that. Uh, but you can't. Yeah, so. it back a little bit. <laughs> but no, it, it's that, right? It's like, it's it's... Being inspired by something you don't even know it's it's making a mark on you, mm -hmm. but literally that logo. Like I mean, we still make we make Christmas cookies at our house, and if there's like a frosting gun, I'm gonna frost the Twisted Sister logo on a cookie. <laughs> I did it last year. Like it still happens. My kids are like, really that again? You know, developing a logo for say a, a, a B to C company versus most of the the clients here that we have at Vive, or most of the clients in the manufacturing industry are B to B. So is there a big difference? What's your process between B to B versus B to C? Is there... So again, going back to what I said earlier, from, from my perspective, a good logo is a good logo, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's solid design thinking. And I think the, the big difference between design and art is that art is creativity for the sake of creativity. And design is problem solving. Right, so from my perspective, I mean, sure, there's differences, but it really doesn't matter if I'm helping someone launch a new line of waters aimed at kids, mm -hmm. or it's a manufacturing company. So sure, that water company logo is going to be wildly different than a manufacturing company logo, but the process is still the same, right? The process is talk to your client, hear what hear what their pain points are. Mm -hmm. um, and then do some research, and do a lot of research, um, and then do some concepting, and then I back away for a little bit because we work together on projects. You know, like there's it's a couple week long process typically yeah. for for an identity, um, just for the initial concepts. And sometimes people think, well, how hard is it? Like, why does it take so long? And part of it is to like so the research again, big part of it. Um, then those initial concepts and then th I think a lot of magic happens when you just put it away for a day or two for sure. and get away from it and come back with fresh eyes and all of a sudden you realize like oh that logo th that sketch I did last that didn't I wasn't really seeing much 
you see it new and fresh and but I think you can't rush through right you need to let the process do what the process does yeah um, and then it's and then it's um, narrowing down and finessing right I mean the the right solution for a logo is oftentimes it looks really simple but it's oftentimes not simple right it's yeah it's really hard to strip away everything that's not necessary so you're only left with the core elements that have to be there yep. for something to function right would you say that the simpler the logo i'm using air quotes here simpler <laughs> the logo the more complex in a way it's it's almost harder to develop something that's got less elements yeah i mean it, it depends too right like yeah. I think that a lot of times people see a logo and be like, oh, that's a good logo or that's a bad logo, when in reality, it's all about the context, right? Mm -hmm. How is it applied? Because right. an identity system is so much more than just a logo. I mean, you can't change a logo and slap it on your building and be like, there, we rebranded. Mm -hmm. Because, it, I mean, you know, branding is literally everything that, that your clients' customers touch. It's conversations they have with sales reps. It's the website. It's trucks on the road, it's packaging, it's sell sheets, it's, um, it's a lot of non-tangible things. Mm -hmm. So if you're really getting into a rebrand, it's way more than a logo. Um, right. But the logo has to be that immediate recognition of like, oh, that's new, that's fresh, I like that, and I can see what they're going for. Right. So yeah, it, it is really hard to get a simple mark that solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Very difficult. For sure. So I know we worked in the... In in the past together on a couple of logos. And one thing that you said to one of our clients is um, rebranding is never a comfortable process. It should be uncomfortable. It's something new. I said that? You said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, stuck with me. it's always stuck with me since. Um, and just with in manufacturing, a lot of these companies are really old and they never go through a rebrand. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's hard for these companies to, you know, give up this identity that their parents or their grandparents founded. Yeah. To do something new right what are these hesitations that you see or that you've experienced or well i think there's there's different levels to that right i mean like you you just hit the nail on the head of like the most painful ones are this company has been in my family for generations and we've always had this logo um, and i get that that's a legitimate concern right and that's a lot of times where and we've done some of these where it's a it's an evolution of the logo not a revolution mm -hmm. of their identity um and sometimes clients see it and they're like, oh, yeah, I get it now. We're still, we're paying homage to where we've been, but it's so much more fresh and clean. And then other times people see something and they're like, whoa, that's not us. We want to look like this. Like, and, and they just can't let go of the old. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I guess uncomfortable is a good word for it. That means we're doing something right. Now, it shouldn't be painful, right? Like we want the process to be enjoyable for the client. For the most part and we want them excited about the solution um but yeah i guess there's there's there probably should be some uncomfortable conversations at least internally because that means that things are changing it's kind of an interesting space the whole logo development thing it's, it's something that i think a lot of companies internally that leadership uh they get ex excited about it because it's it's something that is going to be the face of their company. It's fresh. It's, it's an injection of something new. But at the same time, it's something that they are attached to and don't want to get rid of and are very hesitant. So you're kind of pushing and pulling at the same time there. Um, uh, How many times have you had someone, you see a logo that you designed and right off the bat, they know right away that that's the one? Not many. Not many. I can think probably, on the, I could probably count on one hand the number of clients that have actually 
like bef- so I'd go and do the presentation and before I leave they would be like it's that one do it mm-hmm. um, and those clients are great right there I mean it's it's easy um, it's easy to make them happy it's easy to go in with three so typically and you guys know this but I'll come in with pre- a pretty wide range of ideas right try to span the gamut um, and this is one of those things I learned from a, a previous employer you know you want to you want to walk your clients down the path of change especially on some of these family-owned companies right so you know you take you take their existing logo and i'm doing hand signals here for the guys at the table but you take the existing logo and you say okay what if we take one step away from that what does that look like and then you take another step maybe it's a bigger step down the path so now you're farther away from where you started and then maybe at the end you take a big leap and you're way off the deep end Um, and those ideas that those way off the deep end ideas don't always land but a lot of times they move the needle mm-hmm. right so the client all of a sudden sees something they're like okay well that's too crazy but i kind of see where you're going and it just shows that range of um of what change can do for a company and in a good way right um a lot of times it's it's those that crazy like that i don't want to call it a hail mary because there's still that design sense and that design thinking that went into the solution mm-hmm. um well, a lot of times those are the ideas that make the client be like, okay, that's too crazy, but I totally understand and respect why you showed that to me. And it kind of it makes that middle idea seem less crazy and all of a sudden pretty right. realistic. Right. So finding that, that edge of how far a client is willing to go is, is an important, crucial step. In sure. And a lot of times, I mean, I don't feel like I'm doing my job if I, you let the client off easy, right? You, right. Know, you, you could do the safe rebrand, and, and maybe that's ultimately where you land, but um, I think it's my job and any designer's job to push a little bit and, and make sure that the client understands, like, you got to get a little tingly in places, right? And be like, oh, well, that, that doesn't feel good, or oh, that tingle feels kind of nice. <laughs> um, and then decide how to react to it. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Uh, Speaking of, um, I'm going I'm to use the, my favorite uh, journalistic technique uh, of talk about. So, okay. Uh, talk about, um, if you don't mind, typography a little bit. Because I know you're a, big, you're a big typography guy, right? I am. Um, uh, and at least to me, it seems like a lot of uh, companies out there that don't necessarily appreciate, maybe is, if that's the right word, the, the intricacies of different typefaces and... Um, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, type is huge, right? Type is, there's so many typefaces available. And um, I mean, everything now, like it's very trendy right now to have these geometric sans serif faces and like every new logo, almost every new logo you see. Um, and I follow some design blogs and like literally everyone is like, oh, here's a new geometric sans. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine, especially in manufacturing. Like maybe that's the right solution. Mm-hmm. Um but there's so many more options out there and, and it can be little subtleties, right? And, it, and again, it's a fine line of you want to differentiate yourself, your company or your service or your product through interesting typography, mm-hmm. but it has to remain relevant. You can't just put some crazy typeface in there because like it's fun. You know, the, the right. owner's wife likes it. Um, <laughs> and I've had people say like, oh, use this typeface. And like, no, we can't do that. That's not yeah. a realistic solution. Or it's going to cause problems for X, Y, and Z, and you have to show them why that's not sure. um, a, a good answer. But no, type is type is huge, and I do a lot of um, work with local college students. I do a lot of um, portfolio reviews. So at the typically at the end of every semester, there's one at uh, two local colleges each have one, 
and their design is pretty good, but oftentimes typography is just like, they don't even think about it. Um, and it drives me a little nuts, to be honest, because I'm like, what? It's half the solution. Like, and I'm not even talking like logo design. I'm talking like just page layout, right? Yeah. People, um, people read. They do. Well, the people, and they also listen more. These people are probably listening, not reading. So, so <laughs> good point. <But. laughs> um, no, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so another analogy that I've gotten and picked up along the way is, so I'm, I'm getting a little bit off the identity path, but when you're designing for content, mm-hmm. uh, written content, there's three ways that people read, that can, they consume knowledge, right? And some people sprint through a layout, right? So they're going to look at the headline and a picture, and maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. They're not interested. And then someone else is going to jog through your layout, right? So you need a typographic hierarchy um, with some subheads that those people are going to be like, oh, that, and this, that's kind of how I read. Like, I won't read a full article usually, but the subheads will give me enough context that I kind of know what the article is about, Mm -hmm. unless it's a really good article. Then I'll stop and actually walk through, and that's the third kind. You know, if you walk through a layout, um, you're going to read every word, and you're going to look at every picture and every call-out under a photo. Um, So typography, and especially a good typographic hierarchy, helps you work to all three of those audiences. And to be honest, they don't care about type, and they probably shouldn't to a certain degree, right? That's my job. Um, so they don't need to look through 50 different sans-serif typefaces. I just show them the one that works and tell them why, right. um, and then show it in a few examples that shows them why this is the right solution. Going um, back to the three, the three concepts, I think we see a lot of, yeah, these concepts are great, I want to see more. So what's your... You know, is three the, the magic number? Or I think three is the magic will... number because if you go less than three, people feel like, oh, there's got to be something else out there uh-huh. that you didn't explore. Mm-hmm. And if you go with more than three, um, people start to play like Dr. Frankenstein. And they're like, oh, I like that piece from that one. And I like this piece from this one. And I like that. So like take these seven elements and just go make the perfect logo. And that doesn't always ever work. <laughs> Um, it's miss that continuity between yeah it's right. yeah it's it's not like a, it's not like walking through a hardware aisle and like picking out a bunch of stuff and then going home and building something well I mean it would be it would be exactly like that right. actually because you would have a, a something but it wouldn't function right you, you'd more you'd rather buy a pre-assembled kit that already has the things that are going to match right the guarantee yeah, yeah. right yeah, makes sense what's your strategy when um the client, they like it, they know they kind of like it, but it's just not setting in. How do you kind of take a step back and let them understand or figure that out for themselves that this is right? You, you, yeah. know, you mentioned that you know putting it away is kind of one of the big steps there, but can you elaborate on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good question because um, you know I, I mentioned those very few clients that were very decisive and they knew immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I won't let my clients tell me their initial thoughts because I don't want them to commit them. Commit them. I mean, once you say it out loud, it's a little bit like we talked about this um, in design. Bring me back on track in about 30 seconds. Sure. Um, <laughs> so in logo design, maybe there's an icon or a logo. Sometimes it's just a typographic solution. But if you name an element in a logo, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take on that personality. Yeah. Right? Um, we talked about, I think I used the example, used the example of a meatball, yep. right? It was a, a big manufacturing company in Milwaukee who internally their logo was known as the meatball. And it's a terrible name because <laughs> who wants a meatball for a logo? And it looks nothing like a meatball. Right. 
Um, so we've done this before. We've named things, and like we're gonna call it the, and I don't remember the name we came up with, um, but you know, it's it's like branding the branding sort of right. Yeah. Like give a logo a personality, or give an icon a personality before someone else names it something, and that impacts how people think about it. For sure, you that know, it's kind of hard to shake once. It's right, already. it is. Especially meatballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I totally lost our way off topic. What were you guys? It's your job to bring me back. Well, I was gonna say <laughs> I was gonna mention something about nobody likes one meatball. See, there's always several <laughs> meatballs. You know, whether it's a sub or a, anything. But you bring us back on track. I don't know. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just switch gears here. Just going into manufacturing. That's all of our clients are manufacturers. B two B. Um, any trends or unique things happening with branding and manufacturing it? Yeah, and I, and I think that's, I mean, there are trends in logo design. Uh -huh. I don't think they're specific to manufacturing. Um, to go back to what I said earlier, I mean, regardless of the audience, the logo has to fit the company or the service or the product. Um, and I think that's one of those things that that's just time-honored design, right? Like you can't, being trendy in logo design is a terrible idea mm -hmm. unless you're like a skateboard shop mm -hmm. or like a pop-up shop. Um, nothing against skateboard shops, by the way. Right. But no, like they can be trendier than a manufacturer, right? right. I mean, if you're making products um, out of whatever material that you're making, your company better look like you're making the products you, you make, right? Your identity has to fit that product. Right. Um, so sure, can you be trendy and, and still do that? Probably. I guess we're... we're logo design is evolving and this would be applicable to manufacturing as well like i mean logo design used to be like here's your logo don't ever change anything just use it this way and i think that's changing or has changed um to the point now with uh, responsive websites right so there's different versions of a logo so if you're looking at it on your desktop or your laptop you see the full version and then if you're looking at it on an ipad size screen you get a simplified version or on your phone, you get even a sim more simplified version. And then that logo still has to like boil down to that 16 by 16 pixel favicon mm -hmm. for your website browser. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that there's some evolution that's happened. Um, back when I learned logo design or back in school, it was like, it better work in black and white because it's that's what technology could reproduce well. And now that's not, I mean, I still like to have a, a one color version of a logo. And a lot of times those are my favorites because they're really simple and really strong visually. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a must-do anymore, right? I mean, every reproduction technique has gotten better to the point where gradients are probably fine on just about anything. And you can embroider whatever you want now, mm -hmm. and it's going to look pretty good. Yeah. Um, but again, my personal preference is have that version that's super simple and super boiled down. So you know when your client needs to make a, a pencil their logo is going to work on a pencil or a notepad or, a, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting back kind of to your uh, creative process, when, when you are, we talked a little bit about it earlier, the online sites that are kind of watering down maybe the, the, the designer's process. Um, Fiverr comes to mind. Five bucks for any, anything. Yeah. Logo is five bucks. Uh, so how do you combat that is it just selling the fact that you go through you know you you go you learn about the company you do all these things that are gonna give more personality to that 
to that logo, and it's not just a template that the guy pulled off of you know whatever website. Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I can't compete on price. I don't compete on price. Yeah. Um, and that people have come to me for those kind of projects, and I will say like, hey, go check out this website. I think this is a better fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine, right? It just not everybody needs a, a full-on logo design project that I deliver. Right. Um, it's like buying a car, right? Well, you can go buy a, a used car that will get you from point A to point B, or you can go buy some luxury whatever and pay a boatload. It's it's all personal preference, right? It's it's mm-hmm. the right product at the right time for whatever your needs are. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just I I mean, I, crowdsourcing is terrible. Mm-hmm. I think it's awful from a design perspective it's it's ruining the industry in a lot of ways um but i don't think it's going away necessarily and and where i think it falls flat is that it's not a conversation right these designers are just like shooting in the dark hoping that they hit something that someone likes yeah yeah because the there's a creative brief that goes up and it's like oh i can design to that and in reality that's probably maybe not even what the client wants right Mm -hmm. and you discover that in talking to them what they tell you they want might not be what they really want, and that's where the the interaction and the personal relationship, you know, the, those things get resolved and figured out. What do you like to find out about a company before you start designing a logo? What's like what's that first step for you so that you're not shooting in the dark? Hmm, that's a good question too. Um, I don't know that there's any one thing. I, I mean, I guess. Fewer decision makers are always better, right? Sure. Design by committee is not the way to go. Um, so I, I usually ask pretty pretty early in the process, okay, how many decision makers are there? Who are they? And are they in this room or on this call? Mm-hmm. Um, or am I talking to someone who's going to go relay what I say to a team and that's things get muddy real quick? Yeah. Um, so that's one. Um, I, don't, I mean, I do my research, but I don't like ingrain myself in the company. Um, and I, I have worked with some other B2B agencies that do that, um, where they go in and they do a really deep dive, like this immersion for a week, and they're talking to everyone, and, and those are great. Um, I just don't have the manpower to do that. Mm-hmm. But those types of situations where they can really dig into and, and extract, like, here's the DNA of the company. Here's what really makes us tick. Here's what really our employees love this about us and our customers love this about us. If that information's around and, and solid and not just um, what people think is their perception, right. that's gold. If, sure. we can, if we can work from that, it's not always easy to get to. Right, right. I just read a quote yesterday, and I might, I might botch it, but it was, um, the way you perceive yourself is often different from reality, but the way you are perceived is usually who you are. Which I think goes, it's kind of what I was just saying. Sure. Um, maybe talking to the client, my client, isn't the right answer. Maybe I should be talking to their customers and being like, okay, tell me about this company. Right. But, but no one wants to do that because it's a rebrand and they're not, you know, they don't want to let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. Right, right. But it, it's, so it sounds like there's, no matter what it is, there's always some sort of strategy behind how you take these off. It's not just... Oh yeah, there's there's strategy. I mean, I like to say strategy is baked into everything that I sure. create, um, whether it's a logo or a business card layout or a flyer, website, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's never really a project that's just I'm just going to do it this way because I want to. That yeah. doesn't work. I mean, a lot of times, like looking, just pulling an, an example out of thin air, which covers a lot of the topics we talked about. Go back to the 2012 Olympics in London. Mm-hmm. 
and that logo was awful as a standalone logo, right? Yeah. Um, Their mascots are really bad too. They're, I don't know if you remember, like the I big don't. animatronic in uh, Sochi. Yeah, the big animatronic bear that was like oh. five stories high and yeah, weird stuff. Yeah, they but like branding helps. So, but. but the Olympic stuff. So that's a that's a really interesting and it's always interesting in the World Cup. Take any massive yeah. world sporting event. Um, the logo is one thing, right? And people make an immediate snap judgment on it. But it's not until the games come on and you see the stadiums that have graphics and the banners on the street and the swag that people are wearing and the uniforms and the, the numbers for the competitors and the on-screen graphics. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that logo from London in 2012 that looked just awful when they announced it was like, oh, that works pretty well. Yeah. So a lot of times it's, it's way more than just that logo, right? It's what do you do with it? What are the, yeah. what are the other elements that make it um, an identity like a living, breathing, something that has a personality. Sure. And that personality needs to fit the company, the client, the product. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the companies, like you said, Austin, in the manufacturing sector, are probably more comfortable with a evolution just because of that history of, of ownership that you typically see and things like that. But. Well, and part of, part of an evolution or revolution um, is showing clients what does it look like, mm-hmm. right? Because they just say, here's your logo. Here's a new logo. People can't envision it. Yeah. Um, so I think it behooves the designer to show it on, you know, here's here it is on your website. Here it is on your packaging. Here it is on your product. And I'm not saying, like, design a whole package, right? But, like, literally Photoshop it on the side of a box right. in their warehouse or in a stock photo. Yeah. Um, because that's been really interesting. I've noticed that my clients, when they see things in context, even if it's generic... Like, like I just said, photoshopped under the side of a box. Mm-hmm. You can see it on their faces. It makes sense to them more than just a logo on screen. For sure. Um, and that kind of caught me off guard, right? I forget that not everybody has the same level of seeing visual solutions. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can take a, something on screen and translate it to like, oh, what's that going to look like on the side of our delivery van? Yeah. Or stamped into our product. Right. Um, and that's where your thinking is a lot more valuable to, to kind of be able to explain that process to them. And, and I know that you are a fan of, and so is Vibe, walking our clients down, you know, these presentations, hand, you know, holding their hand, yeah. not get, emailing it to them and saying, you know, give us your feedback, but right. walking it through them, explaining your decision-making and what, what you did. Yeah, because a, a lot of that, if you can get the client to understand that, then they can tell their clients and their customers what it means. Right, because without the backstory, it's really just kind of art. Yeah. Even though it's not, it right. kind of is. Right. And we can't assume that those that backstory um, is inherent to people. Not initially. Over time, I mean, that's if the branding does its work, does its job. Mm-hmm. Over time, people will look at something and be like, "Oh, yeah, that company means X, Y, and Z, or they always deliver X, Y, and Z." Mm-hmm. Right. But that doesn't just come from slapping a new logo on. Right. There's there's a whole lot more to it that goes into it, but if all of those elements led to the creation of said logo, said identity system, um, then there's something to work with. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say five words in a row, and okay. I want you to give me your gut reaction and uh, about it. Okay. So these are the five words. Okay. Breckenridge International Snow Sculpture Championships. Big colossal failure last year. Oh, that's not what <laughs> about the year before that? <laughs> um, no, it's it's phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it's um, 
So 20 some years ago, I, I kind of fell into this hobby of snow sculpting. Um, and long story short, my first year, I was a student at Madison. A buddy of mine from high school was going up to compete in the Wisconsin state championships of snow sculpting. And I'm like, we have that? I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah, it's at uh, Camp Randall, right? No. <laughs> it used to be up in Wisconsin Dells. So I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything going on this weekend. So I literally grabbed, like, spoons and knives from my kitchen, and we went up, and we took third place. And we're like, oh, we're really good at this, whatever this weird thing is, yeah. right? And then we got, like, jackets, and we were feeling all cool. And then the next year, we went back, and, like, we got this. We took third last year. We're going to win this year. We right. took, we literally took dead last. <laughs> Out of, like, 28 teams, we were 28th. Because back then, they would, like, they would rake everyone yeah they released the whole score sheet so gets trolls, yeah right? no no we were dead last and i was like wow we suck <laughs> um so then it you know fast forward 20 years and um i i always like to say that we're still trying to figure out like are we really good are we really bad are we somewhere in between yeah. like it's but it, it's really fun it's it's a hobby that you know we live in wisconsin where like eight months of the year are terrible weather yeah um so we may as well embrace winter Sure. And, and a couple of years ago, so, you know, over, over the years, teammates come and teammates go. So I'm on a team of three or four people, mm -hmm. depending on the, the event. Um, and I do one or two events a year. So it's, it's very much a hobby. It's not anything I practice regularly. Um, but we, we've done okay at the state competition. We've competed in the national competition, which is in Lake Geneva. Uh, we've won an international event in Chicago, two different or twice. Wow. Um, and then Breckenridge, we've always, we always viewed as like the unattainable, the Super Bowl of snow sculpting, okay. which only from things we've heard. We had never sure. been to. So one year we applied thinking we will get laughed out of the, like they'll send us a form letter. Yeah. And we got in and we're like, oh my God, this is great. So you couldn't go to a better town to go do that. Like it's, it was just named Colorado's most beautiful picturesque town by like Vanity Fair, Vogue magazine. Sure. I don't know. Um, um, this past year, unfortunately, our, our piece collapsed oh. 12 hours before judging. So it's oh. the first time we've ever had one just entirely, I mean, it just, it's a oh. rubble pile. Yeah. So we had a, luckily there was a nice, um, spectator who had taken a picture Okay. and she walked down and like 10 seconds after she took the photo, it, our thing collapsed. Oh. So she walked back and said, Hey, I just took a photo of it. Do you want like the last known photo of this thing. <laughs> um, and it was, we went for it. Like we, for anybody that's wondering, uh, all of those pictures are on your Instagram, correct? Which many, is, many of them are on my Instagram, which is type orange design. And Make sure you put the design in there. Cause otherwise you get some really, yeah, we're not responsible for anything that is, yeah, uh, shows up other than type orange design. It's abstract uh, art. We'll call it that. It's, it's not it's not me don't go yeah make type orange design on instagram in the web, your website typeorange.com great there's um, a few pictures on there not not many but you can get to my instagram through my website sounds good i think we're all set so i just want to say thanks a lot brett for being yeah. our, our first guest thanks for having um, me a lot of conversation so i'm glad to yeah, we might have you back just to talk about ice sculptures. Uh, snow. Separate episode. I have uh, to. I have to correct you. It's snow. There's snow. a big um, difference we'll between ice and snow. We're out. <laughs> now I'll never make that mistake ever again. So we're learning things. All right, thanks guys. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. Again, I want to thank Brett Tomzak from Type Orange for coming to the Vive office and helping us record our first episode of the Revive Marketing Podcast for Manufacturers. 
Uh, Brett has definitely been at least my favorite guest that we've had so far, and uh, we're looking forward to having him back again someday, hopefully. So thank you again, Brett. And uh, I think now's the time of the show when we're going to try to tackle a few segments, uh, which we plan on doing every week, um, every episode. So first up is the manufacturing news of the week from Twitter, because uh, we all get our news from Twitter. Uh, so the article title from Bloomberg reads, Crab shells might become a replacement to plastic packaging. Uh, let's see here. Um, researchers have developed a potential replacement for plastic packaging film made from material found in crab shells and trees. Austin, your thoughts? I don't have too much knowledge on crab shells for packaging. I do enjoy crab cakes. Uh, big seafood guy, huh? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, well, okay, well, you're doing your part. Um, yeah, our next segment is the uh, Milwaukee weather update. Uh, it's a mild sunny day here in Milwaukee. The sky, uh, as usual, slate gray. We'll give you a PMS color on that uh, next episode. And finally, uh, manufacturing trivia of the week. Uh, today's question. When was the first plastic based on a synthetic polymer invented? Well, I'm glad you asked, Austin. Uh, if I didn't already cheat and know the answer, I would have probably guessed um, Depression era, 1930, something around there, maybe. Uh, would I be right? No. Okay, well, right. so it's not 1930. Okay, we know that. Sounds good. Well, we'll let you know next week. Uh, feel free to tweet at us if you think you know the answer, but no, no cheating. Well, that's all we have for, uh, for today's episode. Our first episode's in the books. Uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and like our page. Leave a review if you feel uh, like we did a good job. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs>